And by the way, if you are not just new to Thrive Church, but you've never been to church before, maybe it's your first time ever stepping into a church, or maybe you're just curious, you're exploring, we're so thrilled that you're here. And we hope that you find that Thrive is a safe place for you, a place where you can be yourself, a place where you can find hope, a place where you can find community. And if we can help you, serve you, pray for you in any kind of way, we'd absolutely love to hear from you. You can always email us at info at thrivechurch.ca. It's great to have you here. Well, we are doing a series here at Thrive. It is called, Is It Love? And this series is all about relationships. And in this series called, Is It Love? We're uncovering some of the biggest misunderstandings that keep us from real love. It's misunderstandings that we bring into our approach to relationships. It's misunderstandings that we get into when we're in relationships. How do we move away from those misunderstandings toward a healthier, better way of doing relationships where we can experience more love? And so it's with that in mind that, you know, as we've been preparing this series for you, that sometimes I'm come across some interesting quotes or answers. And in fact, this past week, I was meeting with some of our team leaders here at Thrive Church, and we're meeting over Zoom. And I thought I'd ask the ones who are married a question. And the question was this, is how or when did you know that your spouse was the one you wanted to marry? And I just asked them to just type their answer into the chat room. When or how did you know? What was the moment when you knew this is the person I want to marry? Do you want to hear some of their answers right now? Can I share them with you? I won't tell them who they are. Uh, although if I mention your name, you might automatically know who they are. But here they are. Uh, one person said, when I met him for the first time, happy face. And so apparently love at first sight does exist here at Thrive Church. That's really cool. Another one said, six days into meeting her. Another person said, in our mid-teens when we were dating. Another person said, when he made me feel loved and accepted after a terrible breakdown that I went through. Another person said, when I prayed about it and had peace. And another one, and this is you know, perhaps the most romantic one of the bunch. He said, when I got into a very bad car accident, and the first person I thought of when I got out of the car was her. And go, everyone, oh, aww. And so given such a romantic answer, I was curious to see what his wife would say uh, to the same question. Uh, you know, how or when did you know that your spouse was the one you wanted to marry? And uh, she wrote, I can't remember exactly when. <laughs> Everyone's different that way. But see, here's it. here it is. Today, we are going into the final part of a mini-series we're doing as part of Is It Love? And this mini-series we're doing is about finding the right partner. And so if you're single and you're hoping to get married one day, then we hope that these messages really help you in your search for a life partner. If you are married, we hope that these messages will help you to take another look at the state of your marriage and what you could do to strengthen it. And say you've got kids, you've got grandkids, even great-grandkids. We hope that these messages will equip you with some good lessons that you can teach the next generation about what to look for when they're considering a life partner. So whether you are single, you're married, or you're widowed, or you're divorced, or you're somewhere you know, in transition, we hope that these messages are helpful in strengthening, in maybe some cases challenging, and overall clarifying your approach to relationships. Now, in part one of this mini-series that we're doing on finding the right partner, we looked at one of the most important things that you want to consider when deciding whether to marry someone or not, which is the quality of that person's character. 
And see, we talked about the importance of character and what excellent character looks like. That was part one. In part two, last week, we looked at the question of compatibility. How it's not just about character, but it's also about how compatible are the two of you on different levels. And then today, in this third and final part of this mini-series on finding the right partner, we're going to look at a concern that many people have when it comes to deciding whether or not to marry someone. And that concern is this. How do I really know if this person is the one for me? Now, if you're single and you're wondering, how do I know if this person is the one for me? Then I think this message is going to be particularly helpful for you. If you are married and maybe right now you're struggling in your marriage, maybe a part of you secretly wonders, did I even marry the right person? Then toward the end of this message, I'm going to give you some tips on what you can do to help you if you find yourself in that situation. Today's message is called The Quest for Certainty. The Quest for Certainty, Finding the Right Partner, Part 3. Let's get into it right now. See, I came across this comic that I thought was quite cute. It's so simple, yet it's so telling. There's a couple that's sitting on a couch, and they're holding hands, facing one another, and they've got a very concerned look on their faces. And it's not really clear who is talking to whom. Is it the girl talking to the guy? Is it the guy talking to the girl? But the caption says this, yes, but how long will you love me forever? How long will you love me forever? In other words, at least one of the people on this couch is on a quest for certainty. Is how certain are you about this? How certain are you about us? How certain are you about me? And see, have you been in that position before where you're like, how do I really know? Here's the thing. You can find that there's the person you're dating or considering that has excellent character. You may find that the two of you are very compatible. But nonetheless, even so, there might be a part of you that deep down still asks this question. How do I really know? How do I really know that this person is the best choice for me? In fact, it reminds me of a song back in the 1980s that was made famous by the great Whitney Houston. And in fact, I hear the song all the time as a remake in the gym. It's, it's, it goes, how will I know? It's called, how will I know? Do you know the song? Ooh, how will I know? Don't trust your feelings. How will I know? How will I know love can be deceiving? How will I know? How will I know if he really loves me? It goes like, it's called, how will I know. And that's what we're talking about today. How do you really know? Here's a question that someone asked as part of our series. They wrote this. They said, besides using the list that we've made of all the traits, personality, values, etc., that we want to find in our significant other, how else can we identify whether a person we meet and feel a connection to is the one we prayed for or that God prepared for us to meet? Really good question. Now, you want to keep this in mind. Like we talked about in part one of this miniseries, Finding the Right Partner, is that it's not necessarily the case that God has one and only one option for you in this world to marry, such that if you miss that option, it's over. Too bad. No, there's possibly a number of people that could make a good match with you and maybe many others who would be an awful match for you. But God doesn't choose your friends for you. God rather leaves you with the freedom and the responsibility to make the choice yourself and wants us to choose wisely. And so besides considering character, besides the question of compatibility, what else can you do to help you identify whether the person that you're considering is the right partner for you? Let's cut to it right here, right now. See, if you are single or you're single and you're dating right now and 
you have this misunderstanding in your mind, I want to just cut through right now. See, it is a misunderstanding to think that you can objectively, beyond a shadow of a doubt, know that this person you're considering is the absolute best choice for you. In other words, there's no litmus test. There's no acid test. There's no kind of COVID test you can take where, yeah, it's absolutely positive or it's absolutely negative. There's nothing like that. Like so much of what we believe, it's going to involve a measure of faith. But at the same time, there are steps that you can take to help you be more confident about whether this person is the right choice for you or not. And so in addition to considering character, in addition to considering compatibility, here today are three steps that you can take to help you know whether that person you're considering is the right one for you. And if you're joining us just today, I encourage you, don't listen to this message in isolation. You want to also look at part one and part two that we've done because those all come together in one package. But let's go into these three steps right here, right now. Number one is this. If you want to increase your confidence about whether this person is the right one for you or not, consider taking these three steps. Number one, ask for advice from people you respect and who know you well. Ask for advice. Turn your name and say, ask for advice. See, it's a misunderstanding that many people bring into relationships to say, I can figure it out myself. I know myself and I just trust my feelings. That's all I need. That's a misunderstanding. Because the fact is, we all have blind spots. We might think we know everything we need to know about ourselves or about the person that we're considering, but the people closest to you, they will often be able to see things that you might not necessarily see. And that's why it is wise to ask for advice. Look at Proverbs 12, 15 right now. It says this. It says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Look at another one. Proverbs 13.10. What does it say? It says, pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Let me ask you a question. The last time you made a big decision about your future, the last time you entered into a relationship, who did you consult for advice before you made your decision? You know, in my previous relationships, I never asked for advice. I would just do what I felt like doing, didn't consult anybody. Sometimes my parents or my friends would question the wisdom of some of the relationship choices that I would make, but I didn't care. I was just, you know, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to follow my feelings, and I just went ahead anyways. And if you've been listening to the messages these past few weeks, you know that that did not go well. (laughs) Eventually, I realized I needed help in this area. And so for the first time, I started asking for advice on relationships and how to approach them. I started asking some of the friends that I had in my life that I really trusted and looked up to. You know, even more, I asked two groups of people that I never thought I would ask about relationships uh, from. And the the two groups are my parents and my church leaders. And in fact, I was amazed that they actually had some good advice. I was like, wow, these people are smarter than I thought. These people are kind of wise. And in fact, their feedback, their perspective, their vantage point, their experience actually really helped me to clarify a little more how and how to approach looking for a life partner. Now, how should you approach this in terms of who should you seek out for advice? Well, one that the Bible talks about in particular is your parents. Proverbs 1 8 and 9 says it this way. Read it with me. It says, Listen, my child, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Oh, but JB, you don't understand, all right? My parents are so different from me. 
Their value system is totally opposite to my value system. And in fact, their marriage is a mess. And so I would never consult them about relationships. Now, it may be true that their value system is very different from yours. It may be true that their marriage is a mess. But it's also true that you should consult your parents for a couple of reasons, or at least consider doing so. Reason number one is this, is that unless you didn't grow up with your parents and someone else took care of you, there is very likely no one who has more experience dealing with you than your parents. And so even if you don't agree with their values, and even if their marriage is not the healthiest, your parents have insight into you and who would be potentially a good match for you. That's reason number one. Reason number two, and it's a very practical reason, unless you and your future spouse plan to live on some deserted island, completely disconnected from anybody, including your family. The fact is this, marriage is not just the coming together of two individuals, it's the coming together of two families. And so involving your parents at some point is helpful or can be helpful. Now, if your parents have a different value system than you, maybe you're set on following Jesus, they're not set on following Jesus, then it also helps to get some godly advice from people that have a similar or aligned value system as you, whom you trust and who you respect and who know you well. And if those people who know you best and who care about you, if they are saying, if most of them are saying, you know what, this person I think might be a really good match for you. This guy that you're considering, this girl you're considering, I think that might be a really good match for you. That's a good sign. But if on the other hand, you know, these same people, most of them are like, you know what, I really don't know about this one, man. I really don't know. I'm not sure if this one is the best choice for you. Then that is perhaps a warning sign that maybe you're not considering everything that you should be considering. It's about asking for advice. That's step number one. Step number two, ask God for help and guidance on the issue. See, other than what you decide to do with Jesus Christ, will you follow him or will you run away from him? Will you receive him or will you reject him? The most important decision you will ever make in your life is deciding who you are going to marry. Because nothing is going to impact your direction, your future, the quality and happiness of your life more than the choice of a life partner. So because it's such an important decision, it makes sense to ask God about it. And it makes sense even more because God cares about you. Turn to him and say, God loves you. God loves you. And he cares about your future, in fact, even more than you do. And while God won't force you to marry anyone, and while he leaves it up to us to choose wisely, God also wants to guide you to make the best decisions for your life. Look at Psalm 32, verse 8. This is God talking in Psalm 32. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. See, God wants to help you make the best decisions for your future. Now, how does that work practically? Let's look at Genesis 24. Genesis 24 is one of the first love stories you will find in the Bible. It's a really cool story. We're going to look at a part of it right now. Genesis 24, and I'm just going to read it. You can follow along. It says this, Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. What? We'll get to that in just a bit. Number three, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is not willing to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? 
make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham, and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Okay, first off, in case you're wondering, what's with the hand under the thigh thing? What's that? See, back in Abraham's time, the way a person made an oath, a legal promise, was to do just that, is that whatever promise you're making, you would make the promise by putting your hand under the thigh of the person you are making the promise to. Nowadays, we don't do that. Nowadays, if you're in a courtroom and you're making an oath, you might put your hand on the Bible or raise your right hand and say, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's a legal oath. But back in Abraham's time, you put your hand under the thigh of the person that you're making a promise to. Please don't try that right now. All right? And see, here's the thing, is what's the promise that Abraham's servant is making to Abraham? His promise is, I'm going to go back to my master Abraham's home country, and I'm going to find a wife for, my, for his son Isaac there. Now, in other words, this servant is on a matchmaking mission. We don't know his name. Maybe his name was Eharmonus or Tinderus or Bumble. I don't know what his name is, but the point is this. See, this passage is a picture of what God is doing in our world today. That just as Father Abraham sent his powerful yet humble servant to prepare a bride for his son called Isaac, so today God the Father has sent his Holy Spirit into our world to prepare a bride for his son Jesus. And see, if you have responded positively to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you responded to Jesus and received him as your Savior, then guess what? You are part of that bride that the Holy Spirit is preparing for Jesus. It's called the church. But even more than that, even more than that, this passage teaches us an important lesson about looking for a life partner. And that is this. It is good to ask God for his help and guidance. Let's see how this servant asks God for God's help and guidance in finding a bride for Isaac. Check out verse 10 with me. It says, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So what's going on? This servant is praying to God for guidance. And he's saying, God, I need your help. I need your guidance in this issue. And he's saying, God, you know, I'm looking for a wife for my master's son, Isaac. There are all these girls here. Let it be. That when I say to a girl, please give me a drink, let the one that you've chosen be the one who says, sure, I'll give you a drink and I'll water your camels too. And that's how I will know. Now notice this. If you think, oh, he's looking for some random sign. Well, this is it. This servant wasn't just looking for some random sign. I'm going to put it to you that, that, that he's actually looking for two things. He's looking for character. He's looking for someone who is humble enough to serve, who's hardworking, 
who's you know, got a, a respectful attitude, who's trustworthy. He's looking for a certain character. He's also looking for compatibility. He's looking for someone who comes from the same country, culture, and faith as Isaac, someone who's going to get along with his family. And so he's talking about actually the two things we've been talking about these past two weeks, character and compatibility. And then he puts out this request to God saying, let the one you've chosen be the one who says, sure, I'll give you a drink and I'll water your camels too. He's still asking for a sign. Let me ask this question. Is it okay to ask God for a sign? Is it? Is it okay to ask God for a sign when you're making a big decision? Before I answer that question, let's see what happens as a servant prays this prayer. Look at verse 15. It says this. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl's very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. That's a lot of running and carrying and hard work, by the way. Verse 21, without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a bika and two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. If you're wondering how much that is in today's currency, that's probably worth about $10,000 Canadian of gold that he's presenting right now. And in verse 23, he says, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there a room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Then the girl ran and told her mother's household about all these things. And see, eventually, you know, Rebecca, you know, she and Isaac meet as a result of this, but look, look, look at what's going on. Rebecca does the very thing that the servant prayed for. Rebecca does the very sign that the servant asked God for. She gives him a drink and waters his camels out of her own initiative. And then he finds out later on that Rebecca is from the exact family, country, and culture that he was looking for. He's like, yes, I found her. This is it. And, and here's the question. Say you're trying to apply this passage to your life. Say you're looking for a life partner. Let me ask this. Should you pray a similar prayer as the servant? and say, Lord, today I'm going to Starbucks. And let it be that when I ask that girl or when I ask that guy to give me a coffee, they won't just say, sure, I'll get you a coffee, but I'll put gas in your car as well. Is, is that the way to apply? Then I'll know that that person was the one you prepared for me. Is that how you go about applying this passage? You know, in, in books and movies, whenever people pray, they often, it's a very stereotypical thing. Oh God, give me a sign. Is it okay to ask God for a sign? to help you make a big decision? Well, let me put it this way. It isn't necessarily wrong to ask God for a sign, but you need to check your motives. You have to ask yourself, why are you wanting a sign? Because sometimes the reason we ask for a sign is not because of a lack, or is not because of faith, but a lack of faith. 
Or sometimes it's not because of wisdom, it's actually a lack of wisdom, where we think that by having a sign, it will eliminate my need to think carefully through this issue. That just if I have a sign, it'll eliminate the need for me to wisely, carefully think through what I should do. And we just almost treat the sign as an excuse to go ahead. Or sometimes we think, if, as long as I have a sign, I don't have to believe in anything else because I got a sign. And see, that's not the way that God made you to live. God didn't make you to live life foolishly, where you ask for signs as an excuse not to think through your decisions or to have faith. And besides, even if God did give you the sign, it still takes faith for you to believe that that is actually a sign from God, because otherwise you might just rationalize it. So that's one thing. Also, it is foolish to ask God for signs and not consider what God has already given to you. See, in the case of finding a life partner, it is foolish to rely exclusively on God, give me a sign, and not carefully consider all the other things that we've been discussing in this mini-series on finding a life partner, such as the quality of a person's character, such as the question of compatibility, such as getting good advice. Because if you ignore all those things that we've talked about, and you just focus on, oh God, give me a sign, then I'll be really concerned about you and the person that you're trying to marry right now. See, God doesn't want us to be these pseudo-spiritual people who are constantly asking for signs, looking for signs when making our decisions. That's not to say that you should never ask for a sign. It's not good to ask for a sign ever. But he wants you to be mature. He wants you to be wise. More than just relying on outside circumstances and outward signs to tell you what to do. God wants you to be mature in the way you make life decisions such that it's from the inside out that you make decisions. Is that you make decisions based on the peace and the wisdom that God gives to you. Psalm 32 says it this way. Say, read it with me. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. What is this talking about? Especially that last verse. What is a bit and bridle. See, a bit and bridle is something you'll find on a farm where there's horses and donkeys. And a bridle and a bit is what you put inside a horse's mouth and around a horse's mouth so that you can basically force it to go wherever you want it to go from the outside. Is that basically based on outside force, you can just take this person, this horse, this donkey, wherever you want to go. And see, God does not want to lead you that way. God doesn't want to lead you in a way where you have now no control over yourself. You have no control over your decisions, where you're just totally reliant on some outside force to force you to go where he wants you to go. No, God wants you to be led from the heart. And see, God gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can be led from the inside out, where God doesn't just give you signs on the outside, but he can speak to you on the inside, not just based on circumstances that you see, but by faith in your heart that you can't see. And see, the good news is this, is that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, then you have such an awesome advantage on your side. You know what that is? You have the Holy Spirit is that God doesn't leave you alone to kind of figure all this out by yourself. But when you trust in Jesus Christ as your savior, not only do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, but he rose again. When that happens, what happens is not only your sins forgiven, but God says, I will give you my Holy Spirit such that you don't become God, but that you've got God living in you such that you now are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And now you've got a relationship with the Holy Spirit where you can ask questions, where you can converse with the Holy Spirit, where you can wrestle with the Holy Spirit on issues that you're dealing with and gain peace and understanding and wisdom about what you should do. And so if you are a believer in Jesus today, then guess what? You have someone on your side. It's called the Holy Spirit. And God wants you 
to make the most of that relationship. See, it's not wrong. In fact, it's very good to ask God for help, for guidance, for perspective, but you want to be careful not to rely too much on asking God for outward signs all the time. Because more than thunderstorms, more than earthquakes, more than some sign in the sky, you're going to find that God tends to lead, and I think there's a precedent for this in both the Old and New Testament, God tends to lead us with his peace and with a still small voice. Psalm 34, verse 11 says it this way. It says, read it with me. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. If you got Psalm 34 with you, would you underline those words? Seek peace and pursue it. In other words, oftentimes when God guides you, he wants to guide you with his peace. His peace is like a clue that tells you where he wants you to be. Proverbs 3, 16, 17 is where, you know, it's a description of God's wisdom. And describes God's wisdom like this beautiful woman. And it describes it this way. Look at verse 16. It says, long life is in her right hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. See, notice this. When God's wisdom is guiding you, you will find that his wisdom and guidance are consistent with scripture consistent with the Bible, and even more, they are accompanied with peace, where there's a peace in your heart that you cannot manufacture yourself. All her paths are peace. James 3.17 says something similar. It says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And it says, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. In other words, when you are sowing into a relationship, When you are moving forward with an issue, when you're moving forward with a decision, is there peace in your heart as you do so? Is there peace as you sow? Do you sense peace in your heart when you pray about it? Do your heart and your mind both say yes? Because if you sense a lot of peace each time you pray about this issue, then that is a good sign. But if you don't sense peace when you're praying about this issue, then you got to get to the bottom of that. Because it could very well be that God is wanting you to consider some other things. See, for a follower of Jesus, this is such an important skill. This is such an important skill that you need to develop in your life. Is that when you're making a big decision, you don't just decide based on what you think or decide based on, oh, this person said this, this person, but you ask God directly for his guidance, for his wisdom. You lay down your agenda. You say, God, I surrender to you. I'm committed to doing what you want me to do. And you learn to sense from the Holy Spirit where he is guiding you. You know, my wife, Charlene, and I, we, we've been married now for 20 years but I still remember when we were still dating and we we're doing long distance. She was in Boston at the time. I was in Toronto for much of it, later Vancouver. And you know, we had just celebrated our one-year anniversary dating as boyfriend and girlfriend. And by this point, I was quite sure that this was the girl that I wanted to marry. And, you know, the fact is I was crazy about her. And she's pretty crazy about me too. And, uh, you know, she has excellent character. And we're so compatible in so many different ways. Our parents... Our pastors, our friends, they were all very encouraging about the relationship. And I remember given all that, you know, one day I went to Parker Place, just down the road from here, with my mom. And we picked out a ring. But then, you know what happened? After I got the ring, I started to hesitate. I started to hesitate because I was like, you know what, what, what if I'm wrong? What if all the stuff that I've been thinking about, despite all of that, what if I'm still wrong? I really don't want to make a mistake. And see, a couple months later, Charlene is graduating from university in Boston. And so Charlene's parents, they fly out to Boston to see her. 
graduate. I fly out to Boston to see her graduate. And I can still remember this like it was yesterday. On the graduation day, it was like crazy hot. It was like super hot, like kind of summer weather in Boston. And, you know, I remember I brought some icy drinks to uh, Charlene's parents so they could kind of cool down under the tent. I remember Whoopi Goldberg was the keynote speaker of the ceremony. And then I remember this more than anything, is that we are back in Charlene's room after this ceremony is done. And we're just packing up Charlene's things because it's time to leave the school. And there's all these boxes around and we're just packing up stuff. And because it's been a long week of, you know, uh, packing, partying, saying goodbyes, you know, Char was pretty tired. And so she sat down on the carpet and then she lay back and she actually fell asleep while I'm packing. And I was like, you know, I, I could probably use a break too. And so I sat down beside her and I just, I just lay back as well beside her. And while she's sleeping, I'm wide awake because I'm just thinking about this issue of God, like, do I propose? Like, when do I propose? Do, should I propose? And, and all these questions in my mind. And finally, I just look to God and say, God, I need your help in this issue. I need your help. Please help me. And you know, in the moment on the carpet, I could never forget this. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was the strongest sense in my heart, like a still small voice that said to me, JB, I will certainly bless you if you marry Charlene. I will certainly bless you if you marry Charlene. Notice he didn't say, JB, Charlene is the one. Marry her or die. No, he didn't say that. Still left the choice to me. But he said, I will certainly bless you if you marry Charlene. And you know what is funny? Is that when I heard the Holy Spirit speak to my heart that way, there was a peace in my heart that I could not explain. And that little encouragement from the Holy Spirit was all I needed to go full steam ahead now and say, yes, I'm doing this. I'm proposing. And in fact, within the week, we were engaged. And see, that's my story. Maybe one day you'll hear Shara's story or her side of it. Maybe it's totally different on hers. I don't know. But, but here it is, is. When it came to the quest for certainty, the clincher for me was when I asked God for his help and guidance on the issue. And I heard his promise. I will certainly bless you if you marry Charlene. And has God been faithful to that promise? He's been faithful to that promise. Far beyond all that I could ask for or imagine. I'm the luckiest guy in the world because I get to be married to someone like Charlene. And see, here's a question for you today. What is a situation in your life today where you need to ask God for his help, his guidance, his perspective, to see things his way? Don't delay. It's one of the most important steps you can take. Number three, if you want to increase your confidence about whether this person you're considering is the right one or not, don't discount the need for faith. In other words, realize that nothing happens without faith. You know, when it comes to making major decisions in your life, you can analyze all you want. You can get all the advice you need. You can ask God for help and guidance, and all those things are good. But those things in and of themselves are not sufficient to get you to the decision. In the end, you still need faith to move forward. And like, unlike so much of the stereotypes you hear about faith, the fact is this, faith doesn't need to be irrational. Faith doesn't need to be blind. Wise faith is taking all the data that you've collected and all the evidence that you see and making the best decision you can based on that. And you can still ask more questions. You can still find more answers. But based on what you have, after doing a good concerted effort of gathering what you need, you then make a decision based on that is called wise faith. 
And see, the fact is that every big decision that you will ever make in life is gonna involve a measure of faith, whether you even realize it or not. And see, oftentimes we wanna get to a place where we don't need faith. That it's all, you know, faith isn't necessary anymore. It's it's all just so self-evident now where we just kind of get pushed over to the other side without even trying. But I'm here to let you know, it never is gonna happen that way. Is that you're always going to need to cross over a gap. And the only way to do it is with something called faith. Even if that gap is like one inch long, you still have to cross over it. The circumstances, the evidence won't just take you there. You need faith. Turn to him and say, you need faith. You know, when, when Charlene and I, this is even earlier now, when Charlene and I had not even started dating yet, but we were just starting to get to know each other, we would talk a lot on the phone, again, long distance. And, you know, as we talked and as we developed this friendship, I would kind of have in my mind and even on my computer a little profile of all of her favorite things. And, you know, like her favorite movies, you know, favorite food, favorite things. And, you know, it was something where, you know what, I'd, I'd examined a lot about, you know, okay, is this a good thing? Is this not in terms of asking her out? I asked my parents, I asked my pastor, you know, I'm just like, all these signs are pointing out. Yeah, just go ahead and ask her out. But after making so many mistakes in the past before, again, I really didn't want to make a mistake again. And I didn't want to mess things up for Charlene or for myself. And so after a month or so of thinking about it, praying about it, I was like, okay, I think I'm going to ask Charlene now. And I remember I, I gave her a call long distance. And, you know, ring, ring, ring. She's like, hello. And I, I was like, hi, Char. Um, and we started talking, just chit-chatting. And eventually I get to this. I'm like, um, Char, I, there, there's something I want to ask you. And I'm just about to ask her, but then I chicken out. And I'm like, uh, can I ask you tomorrow? I, I'll ask you tomorrow. All right. Yeah, well, well let's talk tomorrow. What time? Yeah, that, that time's good. Okay, I'll, I'll call you tomorrow. I'll call you tomorrow. Hang up. And, oh, God. The next day, I call her at that time. Hello. Hi. Hey, Char. Yeah. Um, and then we start talking again. Start chit-chatting again. And then, yeah, oh, yeah, about that thing I was going to ask you. Um, and again, I'm starting to chicken out. I'm like, so I'm like, a, uh, oh, yeah. Um, what's your favorite color? And she's like, uh, white, I think. And, like, and I start asking her all these just random, silly, stupid questions. And, and, and that was it. And that was the end of our conversation. She's like, okay, bye. And then finally, I go that night to my friend's house. And I have dinner with him. And he's like, so did you ask her yet? I'm like, no. And he's like, what's wrong with you? And he even said four words I'll still remember. He said, the time is now. All right? The time is now. And this is an older friend of mine, someone I, I looked up to in my life. He's already a dad by this point. He's got kids, teenage son. And he, after saying the time is now, he went downstairs. He brought me downstairs. And in his basement, on kind of like his little man cave or whatever, like we, we start watching. He shows me these three Jet Li Kung Fu movies, one after another. And I'm not sure why he did that. I think more than anything, because his son loves Jet Li. But I can tell you this is the impact that had on me is after watching those three Jet Li movies, I was like so fired up. I could like beat someone up, let alone ask someone out. I was like, it's time, it's time. And, and so I, you know, I, I basically, I get back in the car. I go back to my house, my little apartment. I get on the phone and I finally call her again. Pa, pa, like Charlene, she picks up and I'm like, Char, I, I want to ask you for um, just, well, I just want to say thank you for putting up with me because I've been trying to ask you something and it's taken a lot of courage for me to like get to this point of asking you. But um, let me just say it this way. You know, we're talking a lot about our favorite things. Um, I just want to say you are one of my favorite things. And I was wondering if you 
would be up for praying about whether we were meant to be married. And before we go anywhere else, before I tell you what her answer was, let me just stop right there and tell you this. A little warning, okay? Um, Don't think that you need to do it the way that I did it, okay? Don't think that the first question you ever ask someone and when you want to ask them out is, can you pray about whether we're meant to be married? All right, because that because you got to understand the context is that we're doing it's like we're 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 like in different countries where we just both came from a season where we made a lot of relationship mistakes. We wanted to really be set that the next person we're gonna be super intentional about this next one, and, and so this was what she needed to hear, and this is what I needed to say for us. But that doesn't necessarily have to be that for you. That it doesn't necessarily be. Do you have to? Can you consider praying about whether we're meant to be married? It could just simply. Do you want to go for a bubble? Do you want to go for lunch? That's fine. But the point is this. It requires faith. Whether you're asking the person to marry you, or you're asking the person to consider praying about whether that they, they want to, you know, they, they want to be married, or you want to ask them to, like, you know, ask them to bubble tea or lunch, it all requires faith. In fact, you say they say that faith is spelled R-I-S-K is that unless it involves a risk, unless there's a risk that you might fail, unless there's a risk that you might be wrong, there's no faith involved. You felt you spell faith, R-I-S-K. And so that was me. I was taking a risk. And see, what was Charlene's response? After saying, hey, I was wondering, would you consider praying about being, like, you know, whether we're meant to be married? And basically I was saying, you know, we'd like start a long distance dating relationship is what I was saying. And her response went like this. She's like, well, it took a lot of courage for you to ask me that. And I was like, oh no, 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 this is a rejection right now. No, but then she paused and then she said, well, actually, I've been already praying about that. And my answer to your question about whether to date you or not, my answer is yes. And, uh, you know, when she said that, I couldn't, I couldn't contain my excitement is that uh, I, I was like, hey, like, just, just give me a second, okay? Like, I was gonna put the phone down. I put the phone down, I opened my front door, and I just like, I'm like, yeah! <laughs> and I go back to the phone, I'm like, okay, th- thanks for that, th- thanks for that. And, um, and we started talking, how's this gonna work? You know, long distance, how are we gonna do this? But you know what, that's how we started. That was our, kind of the beginning of our love story. But you know what, it took faith. Turn to say, it takes faith. Because here's the thing, you're never going to have all the answers. You can always ask more questions. But at some point, you need to make the choice based on what I know, based on what I've gathered. What's the best decision going forward? And if that best decision is to say, okay, whether it's faith to believe that this is the best choice for me, or it's faith to believe, no, this is not the best choice for me. There's something better that I need to hold out and wait for. Either way, it's going to take faith. And when it comes to the biggest life decisions you ever make, faith is the power that moves you forward. You need faith. In fact, this is how the Bible puts it. Hebrews 11.6 says it this way. Read it with me. It says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Look at Isaiah 7 verse 9. It says this. It says, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Turn to him and say, You need faith. Nothing happens without faith. And so those are three steps that you can take to increase your confidence about whether or not the person you're considering is the right partner for you. Number one, the step of asking for good advice. 
from people you respect who know you well. Number two, the step of asking God for his help and his guidance on the issue. Number three, the step called faith. Realize that nothing happens without faith. Now, you're going to find this, is that if you're single, and perhaps you're dating someone right now, the challenge for you is getting to that point of believing, yes, this person is the one for me. And if you're married, the challenge for you is to stay at that point of believing that, yes, this person is still the one for me. And see, as a married couple, the fact is you're going to go through circumstances that can sometimes shake your faith in the marriage. Now, the Bible does say that there are certain exceptional circumstances where it is appropriate and okay for a couple to end the marriage. But those are highly exceptional circumstances. For the great majority of us who are married, it's about how do you keep your faith in your marriage? And see, for married people, how do you keep your faith in your marriage strong? See, if you're maybe struggling in your marriage right now, and sometimes you wonder, is this per- did I really marry the right person? Did I make a mistake? And you're struggling to believe in the marriage now? Let me give you a few things that you can consider doing to help you strengthen your faith in your marriage. And we're going to end with that today. Number one, remind yourself of the ways God has already worked in your relationship. You see, whether it's your love story, how God brought the two of you together in the first place, or maybe the way you guys came together wasn't the ideal way, and it was not a, day, a way that you're that proud of, but the fact is that God has otherwise shown you his faithfulness, his mercy, his favor, his goodness through this story that brought you together. That's something to think about. Or, you know, the ways that God has answered your prayers, or the ways that God protected you, or the ways that God has used both of you together to make a difference in this world, or the way he made a way for you. See, when you were reminded of those things, it can increase your faith in the story that God is writing in your lives. Psalm 77, 10 verses says it this way. It says, read it with me. Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. Stop right there. You know, I don't know if you know this, but the right hand in the Bible is often a symbol for God's favor, for favor. And so when it's talking about, I'm going to appeal to the years of the right hand of the most high, that's talking about, I'm going to look back to the years of God's favor. When I sensed God's favor and felt God's favor on my life, his goodness in my life. And it says in verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Even just this past week, Shar and I, we will be, you know, together and we will be talking about how we first met. And, you know, back when we, we, we met in high school, when we were still in high school, both of us. And, like, we met in a little church basement. And I just thought to myself, yeah, it would be so cool to, like, take a time machine and go back to that moment and just kind of observe that moment. Because to me, that's such a cool moment for me. It's just like that. It's, it's thinking back to those times when you sense God's favor on the relationship and what brought you together in the first place and his goodness in your life. When you think about those things, it increases your faith in what God has done and the story that he's written with your lives. Number two is remind yourself of all the things you love about your spouse. See, on my phone, I've got in the notes application, I've got a note that is called What I Love About Shar. And I'm not going to read it out to you, but it's like 40, 50, 60 things that I've written down and I'll sometimes add to it, things that I just appreciate about Charlene. And I do that sometimes just as a reminder because it's fun for me. Or sometimes when maybe we're in a conflict and I need to remind myself, okay, who is this that I've married? Um, and, and this is it, is that, you know, just reading through that little note reminds me of how incredible of a person that I've married. 
and it reinforces my faith in our relationship. Just like Paul says in Philippians 4, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is praiseworthy, excellent, think about such things and the God of peace will be with you. Proverbs 31, 28 says it this way. It reads, read with me. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Think of the things you love about your spouse. Even if it's like, you know what? I, I, just, I just love the way you look. You know, or I, I love how hardworking you are, or you know, I, I love how you sacrifice, or I, 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 love, I, I love the meatloaf you made last night. You know, whatever it might be, is think on the things that you love about your spouse because it'll increase your faith in your marriage. Number three, have, I got, have a God-pleasing vision for your marriage. Write it down and declare it often. Now, you might be wondering, so how do I get a God-pleasing vision for my marriage? Well, there's all sorts of verses in the Bible to help you get a God-pleasing vision for your marriage. For example, Proverbs 5, verse 18, read it with me. It says, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May you ever be captivated by her love. What's the vision there? It's the vision of being passionately in love with one another. Not that you regret the wife of your youth, but you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Joshua 24, 15 says, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. That's the vision that, hey, we're not just here on this earth together for just us or for our comfort or our name, but we are here for one name. It's for God's glory. That's why we're here. We're a team for God's glory. That's a vision for your marriage. You know, Ephesians 5.33 says, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. And what's that vision? It's the vision of how you interact with one another, that your relationship is full of love and respect. You know, Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. What's that vision? It's the vision that no matter what, we got each other's back. That no matter what, we're here for one another. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Who's that third strand? That's God. When you got God intertwined into your relationship, you can't easily break something like that. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. And this one you know well because you've memorized this. So would you say this with me from your heart right now? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And we've been learning that, hey, that's a picture of love for us in the Bible. Love is more than a feeling. It's a commitment. Love is more than a feeling. It's an outward action. It's character. That's a picture of what love is. And because God is love, that's a picture of God. But even more than that, it can be a picture for your marriage as well. Is that you can pray, you know, God, I pray that in our marriage, we will be full of patience, that we will be kind, that we wouldn't envy, we wouldn't boast, we wouldn't be proud, we wouldn't be rude, we wouldn't be self-seeking, we wouldn't be easily angered with one another, we wouldn't keep, we wouldn't keep a record of wrongs, we wouldn't delight in evil, but we'd rejoice in the truth, that we'd always protect one another, we'd always trust one another, we'd always hope, we'd always persevere together, if you believe that, say amen. See, I've got another note in my phone, which is kind of a list of things that I pray for regularly. And in there, there's like this declaration uh, about my marriage and my relationship to Charlene. And I won't read all of it for you guys because it's kind of private, but I'm going to read one thing from there, which is this. It says, we're the happiest couple together and we're the best team together. Simple. But that's the vision. It's, we're the happiest couple and the best team together. And, and that's a vision for your marriage. And number four, pray for your marriage and spouse often. See, there is power in prayer. 
In fact, we've got a saying here at Thrive, which is that little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. Much prayer, much power. In fact, the Bible says this, is that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, how do you become righteous? Do you become righteous in God's sake by, you know, because you're such a good person, because you try really hard, because you do so many good things? No. In fact, the Bible says that our righteousness is like dirty rags in God's sight. In other words, that there's nothing we can do to get to God. There's nothing we can do to qualify to be in God's presence because all of us have messed up. We're not perfect like God is perfect. We're not holy like God is holy. In fact, the wages of our sin is that we are separated from God forever because we can't be with a God who's, you know, who's holy. But see, because God loves us, because he didn't want to be apart from us, God sent Jesus Christ to live the life that met all of God's requirements, did it on our behalf, and that he died on the cross to pay for our sins. So all of our sins went on Jesus, and Jesus' righteousness went on us. Such that when God sees you, he no longer sees a sinner, he sees someone who's righteous in his sight someone who's blameless in his sight, someone who's acceptable to be with him, someone who's worthy to be in his presence. It's all because of Jesus. Oh, come on, would someone give God, would someone give Jesus some praise in this place together right now? It's because the blood of Jesus covers your life. When you place your trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, the blood of Jesus covers your life. And now you have God's righteousness on your life and you are covered in it. And that's why the Bible says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And when you have Jesus in your life as a righteous person, by grace, you are righteous. And when you pray, God hears. And that's why your prayers are powerful. Your prayers are a powerful weapon to strengthen your faith in your marriage and to fight against anything that's going to want to tear it apart. Colossians 4.2 says it this way. It says, read it with me. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. If you're married in this place, can I encourage you? Every day, pray for your spouse. Every day, pray for your husband. Every day, pray for your wife. You know, my wife has this book called Praying for Your Husband from Head to Toe. And so she uses that, you know, from time to time. Um, and uh, you, know, you want to pray for your marriage and spouse often. Finally, believe that God is not done with your story. No matter what it is that you guys have gone through, you want to, if you even have just a little bit of faith in your marriage still, believe that God is not done. Believe that he's writing a greater story. Philippians 1, 6 says it this way. It says, read it with me. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Turn neighbor and say, God's not done. God's not done with your story and you need to believe that because part of having faith in your marriage is believing that the best is yet to come because of Jesus. And see, here's the thing. The reason why we can say the best is yet to come isn't just because we're a positive thinking church or we're just all about wishful thinking, but it's all because of Jesus. It's because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, but even more than that, he rose again from death to show that there is hope after you fall, that there is life after you die, that there is heaven and not just hell here because of Jesus. Oh, come on. Would you give God your praise in this place together right now? There is resurrection power because Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave. Those are five ways that you can keep your faith strong in your marriage. And I just invite everyone to stand here right now because as we close off this little mini series on finding the right partner, my hope is that this series 
has been really helpful for you. And my hope is that you've been aided and benefited and you know, that you, you've been encouraged by the messages in this little mini-series. And if this mini-series has been helpful to you, would you share that with people in your life that might need it as well? Because the fact is we can all use help when it comes to relationships. And so it's with that in mind, can we give God some praise in this place together? You know, the reason why we're doing this series is because we can all use help when it comes to relationships. And God knew that. In fact, God knew that long before you or I knew that. And that's why when we had no way of reaching God, when God knew the kind of mess we would make with our relationships with people and most of all our relationship with God, God didn't just leave us be, but he sent Jesus Christ to make it possible for us to have forgiveness and God's peace and also even more than that, so you could have his Holy Spirit living on the inside of you so you're not alone trying to figure all this out. So you can have the counselor, the friend that God is to us to help you through and make the wisest decisions you can for your life. And so with every head bowed, never eye closed, if you're here and you realize that you need forgiveness for sin, or that you need the peace of God that the world cannot give, or you want his Holy Spirit to be with you, and to guide you and to help you make the best decisions for your life going forward, then this is an opportunity for you to ask for that today. It's as simple as praying a prayer, which I'd love to lead you in right now. If that's what you need, God's forgiveness, God's peace, and you want God's Holy Spirit to help you, then I just encourage you right now just to lift your hand to God if you're here on site. If you're just here on site, lift your hand to God. One of our team members might come up to you with a little prayer card that you can take. And uh, this is your way of saying, God, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your peace. I need your Holy Spirit. Those of you online, you, you can also do the same thing. Click the link that's in your chat room. Scan the QR code that's on your screen. It's going to take you the same prayer. And we're going to pray this prayer together just as a way to say, Jesus, I need you. I need your peace. I need your forgiveness. I need your Holy Spirit to help me. And if that's you, why don't you pray this with me? And those who've prayed this before, would you pray this in support of those praying it for the first time? Just pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you, please forgive me of all my sins and please fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, then the Bible says you are forgiven of your sins. You are a child of God. You are someone now with a relationship with God, not based on what you do, but based on what Jesus Christ has already done for you. And no one can ever take that away from you. And if that's you, you prayed that prayer, congratulations to you. We'd love to hear from you at the Welcome Center. On top of that, we encourage you to take one more step, is don't just believe in Jesus, but also get baptized. Everyone say baptism. Baptism is not a graduation. Baptism is a beginning. It's you simply saying, I thank Jesus Christ for dying on the cross for me. I've received his forgiveness. I've received what he offered to give me on the cross. And I want to thank him for that. That's what baptism is. And our next baptism Sunday is a couple weeks from today, March the 12th. We'd love to help you with that. You can go to mythrive.info, press the baptism button for more information on what baptism is all about and to sign up for that. We'd love to help you with that. Can we give all of our friends who prayed that prayer just now a big hand praise god that's great hello everyone welcome to thrive 
My name is Marizal and please let me spend a few minutes to go through some announcements with you and what's coming up here at Thrive. If this is your first time here, we would love to connect with you. We want to give you a Thrive stainless steel water bottle to thank you for spending your time with us. Simply visit mythrive.info and click New to Thrive. We will mail the water bottle straight to your mailing address. If you're on site with us at Le Pont Place, we're so honored and grateful that you're here. You can pick up your gifts at the Red Welcome Center tent by the exit door after the service. Here at Thrive, we have a strong emphasis in communities because we believe that God made us to experience lives of others. And that's why this summer, we're introducing an interest-based small group called Passion Group. And we're looking for Passion Group facilitators right now. If you're passionate about a hobby or an interest and you would love to share that passion with others in the month of July and August, you're who we're looking for. Some passion group ideas include, but not limited to, doing sports, painting, baking, playing board games, working out, teaching language, and so much more. Please note that today is the application deadline. If you're interested, make sure you apply to be a passion group facilitator today at mythrive.info. Last but not least, if you're looking for ways to get more connected at Thrive, it's time to get yourself plugged in at Thrive Community by joining a small group or by being a part of a serving team. This is the best way to meet new friends and to develop meaningful relationships with others. To sign up, visit mythrive.info. That is all for the announcements today. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings online at mythrive.info to support the ministries here at Thrive. And if you're new with us today, be sure to visit us at the Red Welcome Center tent. We look forward to seeing you again next Sunday. Stay blessed.